0: The high-rolling life of Donald Trump, but now his deserted Trump Plaza Hotel and Casino in Atlantic City has come crashing down.
1: Reduced to rubble. The Trump Plaza Hotel, once a glamorous and profitable Atlantic City casino, was demolished today, blown to smithereens by 3,000 sticks of dynamite. And it was quite a spectacle. I'd like to see the Trump name be blasted
0: along with the building.
1: This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa Week in Review. With his acquittal on impeachment charges from last weekend's Senate trial now in the rearview mirror, former President Donald Trump has emerged from his Palm Beach exile, feeling tanned, rested, and ready. And I'm looking at poll numbers that are through the roof. You saw what happened yesterday. We went up. We get. I'm, I'm the only guy who gets impeached, and my numbers go up. <laughs> I may figure that one out. Let's say somebody gets impeached. Typically your numbers would go down. They would go down like, uh, like a dead balloon, but uh, the numbers are very good, they're very high. I think they're higher than they were before the election, and they were high at the election, and they like the job. Look, we did a great job. We, we built, rebuilt our military, think of it. We lowered taxes, got rid of regulations. How about Space Force? The question remains though, ready for what? First off, revenge. For Donald Trump, an unanswered slight is anti-ethical to his very being. So first on the list was taking an ax to Mitch McConnell. In recent days, the Senate's evil overlord has become a political punching bag for both Democrats and far-right Republicans alike. The former views him as a shameless political hack, unwilling to stand on principle for anything. We have no power to convict and disqualify a former officeholder who is now a private citizen. As an ordinary citizen, unless the statute of limitations is run, still liable for everything he did while he's in office. Didn't get away with anything yet. Yet. We have a criminal justice system in this country. We have civil litigation. And former presidents are not immune from being accountable by either one. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi ridiculed McConnell for his ambivalent position after his floor speech, calling his remarks disingenuous and speculating that he had delivered them for the benefit of his financial backers who dislike Mr. Trump. Hedging all over the place. I don't know whether it was for donors or or what. But whatever it was, it was a very disingenuous speech. And I say that regretfully. Instead, after voting to acquit the former president on a technicality, a face-saving move aimed at protecting himself from MAGA voters, he then moved to excoriate the president for the very things he had just voted to acquit the president on. There's no question, none, that President Trump is practically and morally responsible for provoking the events. The move was vintage McConnell, a series of painful political contortions aimed at threading his mangled body through the thinnest of needles, while the latter view McConnell as a traitor and sellout to the MAGA cause. In the minds of his most ardent supporters, Trumpism is not just an ideology, but also a litmus test requiring total fealty to Donald J. Trump. The determination of so many Republican lawmakers to discard the mountain of evidence against the former president, including the revelation that he had sided with the rioters in a heated conversation with Kevin McCarthy, reflects how thoroughly the party has come to be defined by one man, and how divorced it now appears to be from any meaningful policy aspirations and ethical or social principles. It's now a party that stands for absolutely nothing beyond Donald J. Trump.
0: What I would say to Senator McConnell, I know Trump can be a handful, but he is the most dominant, figure in the Republican Party, we don't have a snowball's chance in hell of taking back the majority without Donald Trump. I'm sorry what happened on January the 6th. He'll get his fair share of blame. But to my Republican colleagues in the Senate, let's try to work together. Realize that without President Trump, we're never going to get back in the majority. And to
1: President Trump, you're going to have to make some changes. On Tuesday, Trump came out swinging for Mitch McConnell, issuing a lengthy statement filled with characteristic bombast, self-aggrandizement, and baseless lies about the seven-term senator. Mitch is a dour, sullen, and unsmiling political hack. And if Republican senators are going to stay with him, they will not win again, Trump said in a statement.
0: And CNN is learning this statement was actually watered down. It included saying that McConnell had, quote, too many chins and not enough brain.
1: He will never do what needs to be done or what is right for our country. Where necessary and appropriate, I will back primary rivals who espouse making America great again and our policy of America first. We want brilliant, strong, thoughtful and compassionate leadership. The lengthy diatribe was trained solely on McConnell and sought to paint Trump as the best leader of the GOP going forward.
0: And this part of Trump's statement is a straight-up throwback to ye olden days of Twitter before Trump got the boot on the platform in early January.
1: The statement included no sign of contrition or even acknowledgement of the January 6th riot. Rather... Trump chose to focus on McConnell as he broke an unusually lengthy silence by his standards after being deplatformed from his preferred medium after tweets that he posted during the Capitol riot. Trump, who views his entire life through the lens of reality television narratives, now believes his Twitter deplatforming to be a net positive. I don't know how to put this,
0: but... Kind of a big deal
1: rather than feel the stinging fame of impeachment and near conviction and the realization that a majority of americans fucking hate him trump is viewing his mar-a-lago exile as the quiet period in between seasons of the apprentice true to form moments after his acquittal trump celebrated the senate vote as a victory and announced that his movement has only just begun trump played the victim as usual in his statement after the vote, claiming the impeachment was yet another phase of the greatest witch hunt in the history of our country, and that no president has ever gone through anything like this before. 90% of the Republican party thought this an impeachment was a partisan exercise. That's what I thought, he is out of office. Another motivation for Trump's recent silence, beyond the fact that his lawyers told him to keep his trap shut, is that he's terrified that he will be found criminally liable and indicted for his January 6th actions. In between raging about the unfairness of his deep platforming, the stolen election, and whatever daily conspiracy is commanding his attention, reality occasionally seeps through and it's usually in the form of him questioning aides and family if they think he'll be charged with a crime. The answer is yes, moron. You're in deep shit.
0: Breaking news. The New York Times is just reporting that prosecutors in Fulton County, Georgia, have launched a criminal investigation into former President Trump's January phone call with the Georgia Secretary of State. Remember the one where he told Secretary Raffensperger to, quote, find the votes, and also, Jim, threatened him.
1: The first out of the gates in the Trump indictment sweepstakes will likely be the Fulton County, Georgia, District Attorney Fannie T. Willis. In an interview with her newly announced criminal investigation into election interference in Georgia, Ms. Willis told the New York Times that the District Attorney of Fulton County made it clear that the scope of her inquiry would encompass the pressure campaign on state officials by former President Donald J. Trump, as well as the activities of his allies. One of the reasons the Fulton County District Attorney has decided that she should be the person to pursue this as a criminal investigation Is that every other investigative agency in the state that could
0: conceivably
1: have jurisdiction over a crime like this, every other one is potentially compromised by being a witness to the crime. Once again, all eyes are back on Georgia and Miss Willis, whose jurisdiction encompasses much of Atlanta, has suddenly become an exciting new antagonist to Donald Trump. She will decide whether to bring criminal charges over Mr. Trump's phone call to Georgia's Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, asking him to find votes to erase the former president's loss there and other efforts by Trump allies to overturn the election results. Since we've opened this, um, we've gotten, my security has doubled. (laughs) Uh, We've gotten a lot of comments.
0: Interestingly enough, um, the comments are always... Racist, uh, And it's really just a waste of time and foolishness. It's not going to stop me from doing my job. And I don't think that it's an insult to remind me that I'm a black woman. So it is a waste of their time. But we do understand that some people are unstable. Some people think the nerve of me to actually do my job. But I took an oath. I made a commitment to the citizens in my community. And I'm going to do my job.
1: On Monday... House Majority Leader Nancy Pelosi announced that Congress will move to establish an independent commission to investigate the attack on the Capitol on January 6th, including facts relating to the interference with the peaceful transfer of power, she said in a statement.
0: House Speaker Nancy Pelosi wants a 9-11 style commission to look into that insurrection at the U.S. Capitol. She told House Democrats today she plans to take steps to form a panel investigate and report on the facts and causes relating to the assault. Both the House and Senate would need to approve such a commission. Pelosi also insists more money has to be budgeted to protect the Capitol and keep members of Congress safe.
1: In a letter to her Democratic colleagues in the House, Pelosi vowed to move forward in coming weeks with emergency funding legislation for the safety of members and the security of the Capitol after consulting with retired General Russell L. Honore, whom she had asked to examine security on Capitol Hill. The inquiry would be set up and run similar to the federal commission that was set up after September 11th of 2001, would almost certainly turn some of its attention to Trump's role in inciting the attack. But it would also look more broadly at the administrative failures by federal and local law enforcement agencies, as well as the House and Senate sergeants at arm. For McConnell and other Republicans who want Trump gone, a commission to investigate the riot might be a broad and non-threatening way to get the ball rolling on a process that could result in an official reckoning with Trump's role in the events of January 6.: There's still more evidence that the American people need and deserve to hear, and a 9/11 commission is a way to make sure that we secure the Capitol going forward and that we lay bare the record of just how responsible and how abjectly uh, violating of his constitutional oath President Trump really was. Some legal experts see an opportunity for the charges against Trump to take on greater acceptance through this process with the public record, noting his direct role in inciting the riots. From there, the 14th Amendment could be used to keep Trump out of office if he were to run again. Passed in the wake of the Civil War, The amendment includes a provision banning any public official who engaged in insurrection or rebellion from holding office in the future. Since that language is already enshrined in the Constitution, simply passing a congressional resolution declaring that Trump's actions amounted to insurrection could place a significant obstacle in his path back to public office. Unlike the impeachment clause, where you could um, try the Uh, president on a number of misdemeanors, Uh, this clause and this this amendment sets forth those who might have participated in an insurrection or rebellion against the United States will be forever barred from holding office again unless three-fourths of the Congress someday wants to give them that right again. So it's specific and it's narrowed down. And it really fits what Donald Trump did on January 6th. The week's most promising news came with the announcement that Democratic Representative Benny Thompson is suing former President Donald Trump, Rudy Giuliani, along with the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers for conspiring to incite the deadly violence on January 6th at the US Capitol.
0: Now this is significant because not only is this lawsuit seeking monetary damages from Trump and Giuliani, but if this case moves forward, it could subject the former president and others to depositions and the disclosure of other information that might expose more details about what Trump knew about this attack.
1: The lawsuit filed on Thompson's behalf by the NAACP and the civil rights law firm Cohen, Milstein, Sellers, and Toll accuses Trump and the other defendants of violating the 1871 Ku Klux Klan Act by trying to interfere in Congress's certification of the Electoral College count. The legislation was part of a series of enforcement measures at the time intended to protect the enfranchisement of black citizens from violence and intimidation. But thank goodness it did. And now here we come full circle uh, with this Klan-like activities of the Oath Keepers and the Proud uh, uh, Boys and others uh, at the direction of our president uh, at that time, Donald Trump. And now for the main event. Since Donald Trump's Saturday's acquittal, there is a sense of frustration over what many see as the Democrats' inability to use their hard-earned power to hold Donald Trump accountable and thwart a GOP that has sold itself down the river to its most extreme disciples. Still, despite the loss, there was a lot to cheer about Trump's impeachment despite inevitable outcome. The facts of what happened that day now seems indisputable and has been chiseled into the minds of tens of millions of Americans who were deeply affected by the Democrats' flawless and emotional case. The fact that even seven Republicans voted to convict when just a year earlier not a soul would break with President Trump says that there is a desire for accountability. Add to that, the ten GOP representatives who voted to impeach and it's the most votes by an opposing party to convict ever. Granted, this is all splitting hairs, but the man has been diminished and is facing criminal indictment. The suit filed by the NAACP is just the beginning of what will be a flood of litigation. That said, navigating this moment requires a keen legal mind to break down fact from fiction and predict what this means for Donald Trump. That's why, moments after Trump was acquitted, I decided to reach out to Asha Rangappa to get her perspective on just what the hell is going on. Rangappa is a senior lecturer at Yale University's Jackson Institute for Global Affairs and a CNN commentator. Prior to her current position, Asha served as a special agent in the New York Division of the FBI, specializing in counterintelligence investigations. Her work involved assessing threats to national security, conducting classified investigations on suspected foreign agents, and performing undercover work. She's also an editor at the widely respected Just Security. Her Twitter page is a must-read and is like having access to a political crystal ball. So let's listen now to that conversation. So on February 14th, you tweeted the following. One thing I have been thinking about since yesterday, Trump committed so many impeachable offenses while in office, and he was only brought to account for three of them. Do you think that the system of checks and balances that was created did not consider nor anticipate a truly amoral and despotic leader like Donald Trump? And if so, do we need to overhaul those checks and balances basically to save ourselves from the next one? Because I always talk about this. I believe that there will be, as a result of Donald Trump, a richer, a smarter, and even a more sinister Donald Trump than the Donald Trump that we have. What's your thoughts?
0: I completely agree with you, Michael, on the the idea that we're going to have a a Trump 2.0. You know, this was kind of the, the Three Stooges version of a an authoritarian. Um, and there's going to be someone savvier who comes down the line. So it's important to think about what guardrails we have in place. I, I, you know, I don't know that I have an answer to whether our checks and balances have failed. I think they were simply overwhelmed with the criminality of of Trump and the Trump administration. What's hard to separate is that at the same time, you had. Congress, members of Congress, essentially abdicating their role to protect their own branch. I mean, a lot of the things that Trump was doing was actually encroaching on Congress's power, right? Obstructing Congress, uh, withholding aid that they had appropriated, trying to prevent them from fulfilling their constitutional functions. And if you have a branch that is not willing to protect itself and instead becomes an extension of the executive branch, then You know, I don't know how much else you can build into the system. Um, The other answer, Michael, is you can just not elect someone who's a criminal (laughs) to the presidency, right? I mean, that's the easiest way to avoid it. Um, But I find it hard pressed. I'm not really sure how what you would do to overhaul like constitutional amendments, um, add additional qualifications to the office of the presidency. I mean, what would you do? Because I think you're you're playing whack a mole when you have somebody that is willing to subvert the law and the Constitution.
1: Well, let's start with the very first one, which is mandate that they provide their tax returns for at least the last three-year period before they decide to run. So you can make a determination what their foreign investments are and what their foreign interests are so that they don't conflict with the powers of the presidency and— foreign countries. I mean, that would to me would be just the most obvious.
0: It is really obvious. I think where you run into problems is that I don't know that Congress would be able to mandate that that by law without running into a constitutional problem because the constitution lays out the qualifications for president. So if you add anything on top of that, um, you're, you're effectively adding requirements that are not in the constitution. So For that to happen, I think it would have to happen at the party level, like the party would need to decide if you're gonna run on our ticket, here's what you do. And then I don't know that the Republican party is willing to implement that kind of check. Um, I agree, I mean, I think that financial entanglements um, run into so many of the issues that the founders of our constitution were afraid of, which is foreign influence, emoluments, all of these things. But I think it would be very difficult to mandate as as a legal matter unless you actually made a constitutional change.
1: And what about then mandating that you can't have, I mean, I know we have a nepotism law, that you can't have family working directly in the Oval Office in high-powered positions like Ivanka and Jared did.
0: That, I think, would be that needs to be checked. Um, I mean, our ethics requirements were just completely, you know, steamrolled <laughs> in this administration. Um, so those need to be put in place. I think you can also strengthen things like, uh, the role of inspector generals, the protections that they have whistleblower protections. Um, there's a lot that you can do legislatively to, encourage and incentivize the right kind of behavior and basically allow for exposure of bad behavior earlier. But I think, Michael, we still get back to once that bad behavior is exposed, as we saw repeatedly over the last four years, what do you do about it? If you can't indict a president while he's in office and Congress is not going to ever remove him through the process of impeachment, the four years basically becomes a crime spree free-for-all And, um, you know, a way to and especially if you can like pardon people and, you know, potentially try to pardon yourself, which Trump did not try to do, shockingly.
1: Um, Well, no, no, no. Don't say that because we don't know. Correct. I've said on MSNBC, I think it was with Alex Witt. I turned around and said, and I know Donald Trump better than anybody. And I can assure you it would be no different than him sitting at my table playing Monopoly. The second that I look out the window or get up to get him a bottle of to, uh, a Diet Coke or what have you, he's stealing all the 500s, right? And he's, and he's looking through the, the stack of cards for the get out of jail free card. Donald <laughs> Trump is not walking out of that White House without a get out of jail free card for himself and for you know his, his kids and anybody else that he deems could ultimately p- um, pose the threat to him down the road civilly, like what's happening now, or criminally, like what's happening now. I completely agree So with there's you. no way, there's no way in the world that he doesn't have pocket pardons. And I've looked on, maybe, you know what, it's a great question for me to ask you, because you are a legal scholar. I'm going to ask you, do you have to notify the public? Is there any public requirement for notification as it relates to pardons?
0: No. I, I agree with you, Michael, and I actually made... I. I commented on several threads on Twitter saying the same thing. Um, You have to deliver the pardon, which means the recipient of the pardon has to actually receive it while you have the power to grant it. And I would think that perhaps in the case of family members um, or himself, he may want a witness there, a third party to see that he did it. But I agree with you. I think he could keep it secret. There's no requirement. And Trump, by the way, bypassed the office of the pardon attorney routinely for all kinds of pardons. So what's not to, I mean, what's to say that he didn't write it down on a piece of paper, hand it to, say, Ivanka, somebody witnessed it, and it's in a safe somewhere? I think you're right. Like, why? how would that not necessarily be valid?
1: I think he did it a little bit smarter than that. I think he used a law firm or a lawyer who's now holding all of them mm. and each and every one of them signs a limited retainer with that lawyer for the receipt of these pocket pardons. There's no doubt in my mind. And once the, whether it's the attorney general or when it's uh, the Southern district of New York, if they will ever get you know onto it, I still believe the Southern district's going to walk away from this case, despite indicting me for Trump's dirty deeds. Uh, I think they'll walk away. But if there's a federal case that's brought Watch how quickly Don Jr., Ivanka, Jared, Donald himself, right? Um, Alan Weisselberg, Rudy Giuliani, all of them start pulling out of their breast pockets from their suit po- <laughs> you know, from their suits. All of a sudden, pay hey, pocket pardon, you can't touch me. That's my opinion. And I'm if I if I'm right about anything so far, and I've been right about a lot, I know for a fact I'm right about this one. <laughs> you know? So Asha, while Donald Trump was deservedly the focus of the impeachment trial, another urgent conversation needs to be had around the fact that Trump is being shielded by a major political party that believes in his tactics and everything that he stands for, and that they will defend literally anything that this guy does. At what point beyond voting these people out of office do we stop this madness? How do we stop this madness?
0: It's a good question. We now have a party that is willing to engage in anti-democratic tactics in order to retain power. It's really as simple as that. And Donald Trump is one of their vehicles for doing that. He mobilizes the base, he gets the votes, and they are in a terrible compact with him that is detrimental to our long-term democracy. I think there's a couple of options. If there is a splintering of the Republican Party into a third party that will weaken that, uh, you know, the one, the Trump coalition, I guess. But that, of course, comes at a price for all of them because they won't have, you know, enough of a majority to for any of them to be elected. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, really, it's, I think it's just where we're at a point that you normally see. I used to study Latin America, right, where you see uh countries that essentially let go of their democracies and uh, you know end up with an authoritarian in power. And what you see actually in a lot of countries it, where, where authoritarians do come to power is that they subvert it from within. They use the democratic process to take over. Um, and in many cases, the people willingly cede the power over as well, knowing what's coming. I mean, you, it rarely happens out of the blue overnight. You see it coming from, you know, a mile away. So that's where we are now. What are your thoughts? What do you think? What has to happen?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm disgusted by the entire thing. i watch watched Mitch McConnell, who I think is a two-faced rat bastard. You know, I just, I have no respect for the man at all. This is a guy who is made You know, um, a career out of politics. You know, interestingly enough, our forefathers never anticipated that being a politician was supposed to become a career. It was service of duty, no different than those people that fight in our military. It was a call of duty. And I guess they've realized over the 200 and some years that, hey, I can make a shit ton of money, right? Being a politician. And Make a career out of it. When you see someone like Mitch McConnell, whose wife was working for Trump, oh, my God, she left four days before, right, before the, um, the vote uh, announcing that Joe Biden had actually won the election. How great of her, right? And Donald Trump gave her, I think she was what, like um, uh, chair of, the, of transportation? She was secretary of transportation. The hell does she know about transportation? That was my business, Right. While well, I was also uh, a lawyer, I had one of the largest fleets of, of transportation here in the city. What she, what I forgot, she hasn't probably learned yet. But to appease Mitch McConnell, Trump made her, you know, Secretary of Transportation. Then you take another asshole like Lindsey Graham. I mean, there's no other way to look at him. One, if you look at four years ago, five, six years ago, and they start playing clips of him in the past. The guy double talks every single thing that he said. I get it. You're a member of the Republican Party, but you're also a fucking American. So behave like an American. Behave like a politician. Behave like you care more about this country than you do about kissing Donald Trump's ass and playing a round of golf for free on his golf course. Because... That's really what it's all about, running down to Mar-a-Lago or one of other Trump's golf courses, getting a free fucking hamburger and a round of golf. That's what I see of Lindsey Graham. And then you take a guy like Ted Cruz, a guy who's really wickedly smart, but at the same time is dumb as shit, right? The fact that after Trump insulted his wife and what we did to him with putting his father and Lee Harvey Oswald on the front cover of the National Enquirer, you know, a la David Pecker, right? Um, you know how he could sit there and how he could, uh, how he could side with Donald Trump over American democracy just blows me away. And then finally, because I, I could name a hundred of these assholes. Then you got little Marco. Hey, little Marco, if you're listening, smarten up, you moron and a half. All right, Ivanka wants to take your seat, so here you are. You're backing a guy who's trying to push his daughter into your seat, and the funny thing is. Could she win? Look, anything is possible. That's what they said about Donald Trump. There's no chance. Even his own family came yelling at me. What did you start? We got to get him out of this. He's killing the business. Marco Rubio could potentially lose his seat to Ivanka, right, who couldn't run a shoe company where she was stealing Tory Burch's shoe designs. I mean, that's the funniest thing about it all. And yet she's gonna be a politician, or Laura Trump, right? Who's as dumb as Eric? I mean, I don't know. So yeah, like you, I'm frustrated with the entire process. I think the I think our politicians that have made themselves career politicians, they all need to go. That's really what I see. Either you put America first or get the hell out of Congress, get the hell get the hell out of Washington. Just my opinion. Hi folks, Michael Cohen here, and we've got an amazing sponsor for this episode, The Jordan Harbinger Show. Things can get pretty intense discussing American politics. So if you need a break from the news cycle and want to hear incredible storytelling that is both fascinating and actionable, you have to check it out. The show covers such a wide range of topics through weekly interviews with heavy hitting guests. And there are a ton of episodes you'll find interesting since you're a fan of this show. Check out last Tuesday's episode with murder investigator Bruce Sackman for some first-hand information for all you true crime fanatics. I also found time to catch up on some old episodes and found his January 12th interview with Matthew McConaughey absolutely fascinating. There's an episode for everyone, though, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by the feds and the mafia. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. The podcast covers a lot, but one constant is his ability to pull useful pieces of advice from his guests. I promise you, you'll find something useful that you can apply to your own life, whether that's an actionable routine change that boosts your productivity or just a slight mindset tweak that changes how you see the world. We really enjoy the show, and we think you will as well. So search The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. But you know, Asha, you wrote that you were frustrated, as was I, that the impeachment managers ultimately decided not to call witnesses and instead compromised with the GOP by allowing the testimony to be read into the record. Do you think calling witnesses would have changed any more minds? Because it seemed to me that since many of the GOP senators had already declared before the trial that they would not acquit Donald Trump. Um, They they would not convict Donald Trump and that he would be acquitted, that the Democrats were speaking more to the historical record and people watching at home than anything.
0: I think that's exactly right. I saw impeachment as more than having to convince the Senate. Um, And that's why, you know, actually, even before January 6th, after that phone call with the Georgia Secretary of State came out. I thought that he needed to be impeached um, immediately for, for just that. And I remember people saying, well, what's the point? It doesn't matter. And I said, because the process matters. In many ways, simply engaging in the process, bringing the articles of impeachment, vindicates particular values that we, we think are important, that, you know, are, are paramount and things that we need to protect. And I think also, the process, as you just noted, is also about uh, putting things into the historical record, setting a precedent, informing the public. I mean, it serves a number of other purposes. And I thought that calling witnesses would help flesh out a lot of, I think, the um, issues that were being witnessed by people right around the president. His lack of regard or concern for anything that was happening that day beyond uh, how it benefited himself. I do, you know, having reflected and listened to other prosecutors and and lawyers talk about the downsides of it, I think it was ultimately the right call, especially because I think the same purpose can be served if we do have a 9-11 style commission that reconstructs what happened and does have the ability to have hearings and bring in witnesses and hear from them um, under oath.
1: Right. All you really need to hear is from people who actually know Trump and can tell you, as I could, that Donald Trump was enjoying watching on television all of these MAGA supporters, counting the number of red hats on their head so he could see how much money that he made, waving the 2020 Trump flag or MAGA flags, and then storming the Capitol, that actually excited him because it was about him. You know, but Ash, I also, I particularly agree with you on your reasoning for calling witnesses. You know, um, the reason to call witnesses is not that there will be a smoking gun, because that you're not going to get, or even enough to convict. It's really to set, as you stated, the factual record, to set it straight. And at the very least... Prevent acquittals and a future big lie, um, future big lie narrative to be perpetuated based on the lies presented by Trump's defense team. Discuss this with me because listening to these three that were out there was, it was actually painful. It was really
0: painful, Michael. I'm curious to hear your reaction. I mean, here was the thing this is what struck me precisely because we knew that at the end of the day, I mean it was just there was not you know a snowball chance in hell that Trump was going to get convicted literally all his lawyers needed to do was go out present a pretty straightforward legal argument he's protected by the first amendment they could have also said look you know his speech has nothing to do with what happened afterwards he can't be responsible for the actions of other people i mean they could have just done a the most vanilla you know kind of legal causation argument and called it a day after like an hour or two, sat down, Trump would have been acquitted. What shocked me is that the lawyers went out and instead of doing that, they, I mean, his lawyers were lying. They were lying about actual facts. They were claiming that he tweeted things when the insurrection started, that he actually did not tweet, you know, and then there was that fist pounding guy that, you know, was yelling at the senators and insulting them. I mean, it was just very bizarre. And I could only assume, and Michael, you would know best, that they were performing for an audience of one. They're, they didn't see their job as just going in, providing a legal fig leaf to get their client off. They had to give basically a TV performance.
1: Well, that's all that it was, right? If he wanted to get paid, then you have to please the king. I mean, I I think it was Castor, who's a personal injury attorney. I was just shocked he didn't start screaming CPLR 5102D, which is, you know, how you make a determination whether or not you have a significant injury in order to bring a lawsuit. (laughs) Oh, and Donald Trump has a spondiolithesis and an L- 4L5 L5S1 ridiculopathy. I mean, this guy was a fucking clown. It would have been like having the My Pillow idiot standing up there and yelling at the senators that we have proven our case. We have proved Donald Trump has a spondiola thesis. I'm telling you, I've seen the MRIs. It was so ridiculous. First of all, his goddamn suit was four sizes too big for him. His tie is like. 12 inches wide right which was i think from the 60s it was just he looked like a he looked almost like a a clown from like barnum and bailey circus yeah putting on a performance as you said and you are 100% accurate putting on a performance for one because that's all we ever did even while working at the trump organization it didn't make a difference whether you were right or wrong it was how donald trump saw it so if you didn't appease um appeal to his um, narcissistic, sociopathic ego, you were going to have real problems for the day. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it when every now and then when I would have a disagreement with him and I would tell him, Mr. Trump, you're dead wrong. And here's the reasons why. I can give him the most cogent argument for why I'm right and he's wrong and it didn't matter. But then what he would do is he would think it over. And then 15 minutes later, he'd call me back in. And, he's, and he would give me a whole new methodology that would basically incorporate three out of the four things that I would give him. And he would declare it as his thoughts. I mean, that's that's just really who you're dealing with. You're dealing with a guy who, the and I've said this a thousand times, the most dangerous person in the room is the guy who has Donald Trump's ear last. Because when you have his ear last, you control what goes on in between his ears. And these guys these whether it's Castor or Schoen or this Van they wanted to get paid. And if you want to get paid, what you're going to do is you're going to, you're going to please the king. Otherwise, like me, you're going to have to sue him. And I say to anybody that is owed money by Trump or the Trump organization, assert your legal rights, do what I'm doing. File civil actions against them. I'm waiting now for Don Jr. to be deposed. We've already deposed Eric. We're now put in papers to depose Donald himself and Alan Weisselberg, the CFO, to which they're fighting like crazy. Well, why? If you have nothing to hide, right? Then go ahead and, you know, put yourself on the stand. Because look, when Donald Trump goes on the stand, it's like dealing with a um a five-year-old. You can ask a question about X. He's going to tell you what a great. Victory he had in twenty sixteen with the highest number of people in the you know in the uh, in the mall you know at the inauguration you don't know what his answers are going to be, and the funny thing is neither does ne- really truly neither does he. But let me ask you this then, Asha: Should Trump's lawyers face any accountability or ethics charges around their made up charges and other lies told at the trial? Because you are one hundred percent correct; they made up facts. Should they not then be held accountable? Because I know that impeachment is political and it's not a criminal trial, but surely that there must be some laws governing that these lawyers to not come out and outright lie while people are, you know, are watching and accepting this as a trial. Well, I understand it's not a criminal trial, right? And um, there has to do, is there accountability? I don't know.
0: Well, there there is a law that would apply in that situation. Um 18 USC 1001 uh false I was statements. It <laughs> is <laughs> it applies to making false statements to any officials. And these people, you know, these lawyers were making statements to senators. Um, you know, an official body in their official capacity. Uh and you know, I think they you know, they have a lot of leeway as attorneys to spin the truth in favor of their client. But once it crosses the line to literally fabricating facts, material facts that, you know, matter, um, I think that they they cross the line into uh, the criminal liability. Now, th- let's talk about the reality. I doubt that the Department of Justice would try to enforce that. Um, Against them, I mean, just because it's a political minefield, not because they couldn't meet the legal threshold. Uh, so, so then you say, well, what's left? And I think you've identified precisely the bodies, Michael. I mean, you're part of the legal profession. You understand that when you become a lawyer, you have to pass the ca- character and fitness standards of the bar. They review uh, whether you should be a part of the profession. I think the problem is is that once you become a lawyer, it's very, very hard to get them to you know, review lapses. Um, I think they're reluctant to do that. And, you know, maybe rightly so because it's it's someone's livelihood. You know, you don't want to strip someone of their license or sanction them, uh, willy-nilly. However, I think in this case, it's so egregious. This is one of the most important um and serious, you know, processes, trials that could ever take place in, you know, our under our laws. And to go in and lie um is simply you know, it breaches all of your professional responsibility. And I think we, we know that a lot of, I mean, he, he basically couldn't find attorneys until like two days before, I think precisely because most lawyers understood that this is what they were being asked to do. Um, and were, no,
1: it, no, it was, no, it was because, because was they were going to get paid. <laughs> it was, it was all about fees. And what I always found interesting about that is not only was it about fees, he raised 240 million dollars that's supposed to be used for things like this so it's not even that it was his money he even though he knows it's his slush fund and that he's the one who determines where the money goes he didn't even want to pay these five lawyers the fees but i want to ask you this since we're talking about why they wouldn't bring charges against these folks then why then did they do it to me why was the 1001 charge brought against me? Do you know what my 1001 charge was? What was it? Do you not know?
0: Uh, it was the Congress one uh, testifying in the hearing, right?
1: Correct. But do you know yeah. what the actual charge was that I lied about?
0: It was about uh, when Trump knew about the Trump Tower Moscow deal or when it right. ended, Specific- something, something yeah. like that. S- yeah. spec-
1: specifically, it was the number of times that I discussed with Donald Trump, the Trump Tower, the failed Trump Tower Moscow deal. And I put into my papers that we only spoke about it three times when in fact we spoke about it 10 times. That's the big lie. All right? So, and that's the one and only lie that they ended up getting me on that 1001 charge. Because then I'm watching, you know, the egregious and the disgusting lies and misrepresentations that these three representatives, that these three lawyers for Trump's defense were telling. And I'm saying, wait, wait, hold on one second, right? I mean, we're talking about made up shit on an insurrection, lying about facts, lying about what Donald Trump was thinking, what he was doing, what he was saying. And that doesn't surpass my lie about whether I spoke to him three times about a failed Russian real estate project or 10 times. And I'm wondering, you know, what it is about me that they felt that they had to stick that charge, you know, down my throat, right, as opposed to why they're doing it to these. Because, you know, one of these egregious and disgusting misrepresentations was how they took many of the Democratic lawmakers' words to fight um, out, out of context as a way of showing them to be the same as Trump's words. You remember that? They kept playing that fight, fight, fight word. So like as Representative Plaskett pointed out, most of those words were from women of color who were sick and tired of being sick and tired and urged their supporters to fight racism and misogyny. Do you see the choice of videos as illustrative of who the GOP sees as the real enemy here? because that to me was blatant.
0: Yeah. Um I I do. And just to go to your previous question, I completely agree with you. I mean they they stated things on the floor uh, in you know of the Senate that were objectively false. Um I think it frankly did surpass what what you know, the lies that they prosecute you for or what they prosecute probably a number of people for all the time. I am just saying that and I don't think it has to do with you specifically. I think it goes to, and we can talk about this after I answer your your second question. It goes to the dilemma that the Justice Department is facing is going to face moving forward, which is just the political minefield of going after the president, um, you know, and uh, how that will be politicized and um, whether that will do you know damage to to the Department of Justice. Um, with regard to the tactics, I. You know, this is this is the play now. This is the play is to find enemies on which to scapegoat problems, um, to play on fears and stereotypes and racial animus as a way of dividing Americans and fostering loyalty to the Republican Party and specifically to Trump. That's the play. It's a very, it's kind of a very Soviet strategy, actually. Um, So you know that that's the the tried and true uh, approach, and I think that's what they're going with. They don't have any idea. I mean, I've never, I haven't heard, you know, what's the plan to improve people's healthcare or standard of living. It's just you know, be scared of X Y Z, the invasion at the border, Antifa, et cetera, et cetera, um, and and fomenting anxiety and hatred. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. I I, I don't think that video was surprising at all. I mean, it's basically perfectly encapsulated their their approach.
1: Yeah, I I agree with you. I I saw it as just another demonstration by the GOP to fail to take into account that this country is not the Southern White Christian Coalition right? That we are a melting pot, which is what we're so proud of as a country. And yet the GOP's only defense is that black women who were shown at a disproportionate rate of anything during that impeachment trial, right? um, Saying the word, we have to fight against racism and misogyny. I I just don't get it. But there's also been a lot of talk in the press uh, and also from pundits that despite his acquittal In the impeachment charge, Trump ultimately still lost. Can you explain this reasoning for me um, and how it emerged once as the dominant force in the GOP and is already using the trial as a pretext to primary and to purge those that he viewed, meaning Trump, as disloyal? Where is the win here for them?
0: I think it's... (laughs) It's kind of a philosophical win, um, which doesn't, is, isn't always satisfying. I think, I think there is something to be said, Michael, for the fact that this was the most bipartisan uh, impeachment in, in history, that, he, that there were seven Republicans who voted to convict, which is more than in any impeachment trial. And Trump is, I believe, the only president ever to get a vote for conviction from his own party. I mean, the last one was Mitt Romney. Um, in his first impeachment, I don't think before that. The, I think what people kind of said as as the win is if you looked at the people who basically believed that on the merits Trump did you know uh, meet the standard for conviction, but then basically hung their hat on this jurisdictional you know technicality, which was just BS. Um, that you know there was a supermajority that believed that he had um, you know incited insurrection, um, and I think the the win is that he has so permanently tarnished his legacy that he will always have an asterisk by his name and be seen as you know in the long lens of history as a f- utter failure as a president, especially when you combine it with his response to COVID and, and everything. Um, that is not great satisfaction for people in the short term. Uh, <laughs> I, I realize that. And I think what, what will perhaps be more satisfying is whether we see movement on the criminal front moving forward, either from the Department of Justice or the states.
1: Okay, but then that means that our representatives are pushing their, their obligation or- they're pushing the responsibility onto whether it's the district attorney, the attorney generals, whether it's even the Southern District of New York, uh, all here in you know in New York, uh, in order to vindicate what we all know to be truthful. And yes, Donald Trump might be a two-time impeachment loser, but nevertheless, what's the first thing that this son of a bitch came out and said? Don't worry, you'll be seeing me in 2024. So while he was impeached twice, he'll break history again for the sake of it, just simply to make the announcement that he's running, knowing that he's not going to run, right? Because- you don't think he's going to run again? No, no, I do not. I do not believe that he's going to be able to run. Uh, I think that the district attorney and the AG will see to that here in New York. Again, I'm very disappointed with the Southern District of New York. I think that the prosecutors, you know, um, For the way that they came down on me for his dirty deeds, how he and others like Alan Weisselberg or Don Jr. or Eric Trump, all who signed the checks, who actually set this whole thing in in motion, how they don't get charged for for Trump's dirty deeds or Trump himself, how I'm the only one that's holding the basket on this one makes no sense to me. But I do want to ask you, as we talked about um, one of my least favorite people there in Washington, Mitch McConnell, (laughs) How did you feel about Mitch McConnell's speech just minutes after voting to acquit that he excoriates the former president for the same things that he was being charged by the House impeachment managers for doing? And to me, it was the most self-serving speech that I have ever seen. I actually, if it wasn't that I spent so much money on my television, I would have thrown something at it. What was McConnell trying to telegraph here? Because if I felt this way, I have to suppose that Everybody watching it felt the exact same way. This is a guy standing up there reading a bullshit speech because he's just a bullshit representative. That's just the way that I saw it. I just, I again, I think he's just a fucking asshole. I don't have a nicer thing to say.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh my reaction to that speech was basically my reaction to most of what he says, which is Mitch, please. And <laughs> um, you can replace that with another word if you want. But um, I think he was doing exactly what you just said, Michael, he was passing the buck. Um, so he was not wanting to, he didn't have the moral courage or, or whatever you want to call it to put himself on the line to actually vote for conviction. And let's just, I just want to emphasize here, um, cause you're a lawyer and you understand this, this jurisdiction- I was,
1: I was, a, I was a lawyer, they took my license. Oh. Thanks to Donald Trump having his affairs and all of his other bullshit. Yeah, I lost my law license. Seems like every day, everywhere, practically everyone is connected on their devices. In fact, the average person was connected almost 7 hours a day last year. And 64% of adults admit to taking online risks for convenience. And all that browsing, sharing, banking and shopping makes life easy. But it can also expose personal information, making you vulnerable to cyber criminals. There's a lot to your digital life that can put you at risk. That's why Norton 360 with LifeLock makes it easy to help keep it safe. With device security to help block hackers from devices, a VPN for online privacy, and LifeLock identity theft protection to help keep what's yours, yours. No one can prevent all cybercrime or identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. But with the all-in-one protection of Norton 360 with LifeLock, you can be less worried about becoming another stat. You better believe that I use LifeLock to protect my information from the prying eyes of Trump spies and other trolls looking to expose my personal information or cause me financial damage. So do yourself a favor and protect yourself. It's that easy. And save 25% or more off your first year at Norton.com slash Cohen. That's Norton.com slash Cohen to save 25%. The
0: the jurisdictional hook is just a red herring. The Senate voted on whether the Senate had jurisdiction to try Donald Trump, what was it, last Tuesday, a week ago. And they voted that it did. Now, once that decision is made. Then, and if the trial proceeds, it by definition has jurisdiction. If it, everything that follows from that, um, you know, if they didn't have jurisdiction, the senators couldn't vote on anything. They couldn't vote on witnesses. They couldn't vote on whether to acquit. So he's basically talking out of both sides of his mouth because, you know, if he didn't, if there was no jurisdiction, he would have never been able to cast a vote. So he's kind of uh, using a cop out, a legal sleight of hand to do that, passing the buck to the criminal justice system, as you said. Now, I do think he was trying to give a green light to say, I'm totally fine if the Department of Justice goes after him. I don't know if I believe him. I don't know, because, you know, is he gonna politicize it? But this is the central dilemma that the Justice Department has. We have never had a former president be prosecuted by the Justice Department before. When Nixon resigned, um, you know, one of, Ford's considerations when he decided to pardon him took into account kind of the, I don't know how what you would call it, like the psychological damage, the, you know, the precedent that it would set to actually, you know, haul a former president into jail now, or or into court and, and potentially to jail. Now, Nixon was a different story because he resigned. He took some accountability for his actions. I mean, you could argue that maybe he had, you know, he never claimed that he was going to run again. He uh, more or less accepted responsibility. Um, And we don't have that here. So I don't know that all of those considerations apply, but it would be a huge step for the, you know, the Department of Justice to go after Trump. I don't think Mitch McConnell wants Trump in the picture. I don't think he likes him, but I also think that they don't have a good way to get rid of him.
1: I don't know. I think there is an easy way to get rid of him. Just turn around and say, Donald, (laughs) get lost. It's that simple. Stop covering him. Stop talking about him. Right. Do what you need to do. Let Joe Biden's Department of Justice now handle it. Because many are calling, Asha, for a 9-11 commission to study the January 6th event. And I support such a call, but I'm curious and I'm also skeptical. um, What do you think would come out of this type of a scholarly study? I don't think I don't think anything much don't forget I was involved and I'm the second most named individual the first being Don McGann in the Mola report and I don't think the Mola report did anything of what it was supposed to do I thought it turned out it was a good report it's an honest report but the problem is it didn't accomplish anything and I think the same thing will come out of this I truly believe that the Department of Justice under God willing that Finally he takes office, Merrick Garland, because I think he's a fat I think he's a fabulous choice. I think he'd turn around and I think Joe Biden does the smart thing, which is he takes two steps to the left and he lets the Department of Justice do their job. And if that means that, that if that means you indict Donald Trump along with all of these insurrectionists, then that's what you do. And then let him finally spend some of that 240 million and see if he could find a lawyer that's willing to represent him into it. Maybe he'll get the personal injury lawyer up there with uh, the my pillow guy and that they could represent him, you know, back again to the party of one. But what do you think could come out of, you know, this type of a scholarly study, if anything?
0: Well, there could be leads that come up that actually help uh, further or even initiate an FBI investigation. I think... You know, one of the things that remains an unanswered question was the degree of involvement and planning that Trump was, you know, involved in with regard to what took place at the Capitol. And I think with an extensive investigation that includes things like subpoenaing documents, um, witness testimony, and remember, because now Trump is no longer in the White House, they won't stonewall those requests like they did before. I mean, part of what happened with the Mueller report is that a lot of information they simply blocked from it either getting to Congress or or even to the special counsel. Um, they're not gonna have that problem this time. And if Trump was involved in any, you know, I, I think, like I said, I think the managers made a great case for this, but if you wanna prove it beyond reasonable doubt to a jury, I think part of the way to start surfacing some of that information uh, could be through a congressional hearing and then the FBI can kind of take that ball and roll with it. Remember that a criminal prosecution for incitement and rebellion, which includes inciting insurrection uh, in order to hinder the, the functionings of, of government, includes as a penalty disqualification from holding office. So even though the you know, impeachment uh, process didn't end up that way, there is at least one criminal statute that allows for that to be a penalty as well. There's also, by the way, section three of the 14th Amendment, which I know some scholars have been encouraging.
1: Well, I recently read the February 6th article from uh, Just Security, which was discussing how Roger Stone was coordinating with both the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers uh, for the Stop the Steal in the weeks leading up to the January 6th insurrection. If they're able to prove a coordinated conspiracy as this gets investigated, do you foresee more charges being filed against people like Roger Stone and those who allegedly coordinated? Or how about finance the insurrection, something that we don't know much about?
0: Yeah. um, Both the money trail and any kind of uh, coordination conspiracy would amount to seditious conspiracy. Now. Seditious conspiracy is as close as you can get to treason. Um, treason only applies when you're dealing with a foreign country with wh- which we're at war. Seditious conspiracy is basically kind of a, domestify- a domesticated version of treason. It's, it's uh, rebelling against, you know, like uh, trying to overthrow your own government. Um, and it is a very, very serious charge. So those are both things. And I think the finance angle is really key because uh, the finance angle also opens the path for, you know, I think they're looking into this, a potential RICO violation, uh, which also carries significant penalties. Um, and, you know, Michael, when you're talking with domestic about t- domestic terrorism, it's tough because a lot of the tools that we have to fight international terrorism, ISIS, Al-Qaeda, we can't use, the FBI can't use here at home. So you have to find alternative avenues. And I think, you know, the organized crime model is, A better one to use for domestic terrorists. And as you know, with organized crime, what they did was they followed the money. You know, they got Al Capone on on tax evasion. Um, So I think that how this was funded and who was channeling that money will be really important. And Roger Stone, by the way, I think it's really important, these connections that he has to Proud Boys and and Oath Keepers. I mean, in many ways, this was kind of the, the same role that uh, the Mueller investigation and the congressional hearings were uncovering, with regard to WikiLeaks, if you'll remember, like he was kind of this like middleman that was helping this this whole um, operation, and is kind of the key that's connecting Trump and these other parties.
1: Yeah, well, that's what Roger Stone does, is, and I testified before the Mueller um, team and provided them the information, which was corroborated. I was in the office when Roger Stone called and told Trump emphatically that in a couple of days there's going to be a massive dump of information uh, that's going to damage the Clinton campaign and it turned out to be the Podesta emails of course I didn't he didn't mention Podesta's emails at the time but it was two days later or so and next thing you know um, here they come and he of course contacts Trump in order to you know make sure that Trump knows that he was right I mean that's that's just who Roger Stone is but also Asha last week, Senator Lindsey Graham said the following to reporters, and this blew me away. Trump's excited about 2022, and I'm going to go down to talk with him next week, play a little golf in Florida. And as I said, Mr. President, this MAGA movement needs to continue. Now, you tweeted about this, and you said, so much for, I'm out. Discuss with me what Lindsey Graham is doing and you think he goes home at night and winces from his complete and total lack of shame? <laughs> I,
0: Lindsey Graham, to me, is one of the most enigmatic people over the last four years. And you, had, you had mentioned him earlier in our conversation. I wanted, I'm wanted, i glad you brought him up again. Um, and I was thinking about this just this morning. You know, he was one of the most vocal people speaking out against Trump when Trump initially announced his, his run for office. And even after Trump won, I remember, and I know I'm not imagining this, that he was one of the most, he, you know, he really wanted to aggressively look into the Russia connection and everything. Then one day he went golfing with Trump and he just did a 180. And ever since then, he has not just been, you know, kind of on the Trump wagon, but unlike some Republicans who are kind of silently on the wagon, like they don't speak out, but they don't also like help him. Lindsey Graham has been really, like, he's active. Like, he's very, um, it's like there's a desperation about it of of trying to, you know, always be in front of Trump and remain in his good graces. And I am so curious what is driving this. Um, You know, he does not strike me as a dumb person, I think he, precisely because of what he said back in, you know, 2016, um, in early 2017, I think he fully understands the danger that Trump poses, and you know knows that it's wrong, and yet he is willing to be actively complicit in it. And I, I don't know how a person reconciles that. I mean, you know, Marco Rubio, for example, like uses Bible verses on Twitter to try to rationalize it. I think that this is how he like tries to convince himself, but I don't know what, how Lindsey Graham um, does this. And I believe that at some point, at some level internally, he wants an off ramp, but I think he's just too scared. What do
1: you think? I think there, he's not the only one. Another person that really shocked me, someone who I actually had become quite friendly with and would speak on a regular basis. And she would come to see me from time to time, not Mr. Trump, I would always bring her into the office, but, you know, she would come just to see me to see what's going on, uh, is um, Marsha Blackburn. And Marsha Blackburn, when Trump became president-elect, contacted me and she wanted to be, I think it was secretary of commerce. And I put her name in and I said, listen, Mr. Trump, you know, she's been a Supporter of yours, even when everybody else wasn't, when the rancid penis, uh, Reince Priebus, um, and others were <laughs> actually attacking you or Ted Cruz and so on. Um, she was actually there from kind of like the beginning. She'd really like to be, nah, nah, I, I, I don't see it. And I'm like, well, what is it that you don't see? Right? I mean, you have all these other people like Rick Perry. How is he becoming, right? Secretary of Energy. Right. Oh, because he's from Texas. Oh, I got a great one for you. How about then you make secretary of HUD, Ben, ben Carson, right? I mean, let's take a, a skilled neurological surgeon and make why let's make him secretary <laughs> of HUD because he's black. Right. For the same reason that he made <laughs> Perry. Right. Secretary of energy because he's from Texas, because that's the myopic thinking of a racist, yeah. sexist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobic, Islamophobic, anti-Semite like Donald Trump. I mean, that's just how his, that's how his brain works. So, you know, I I don't know why they're following him. I truly, look, I did. And I don't know why. The more I sit and it bothers me and it, it haunts me at nighttime. You know, I I don't sleep well at night because I still have like the smell of the, prison institution or something that I saw on television will remind me, so it plays with your head. Um, but the thing that really keeps me up most at night is trying to figure out why I stayed, why I did for him the things that I did, um, even though people want to make much more out of it. I, look, we Trump, despite what everybody wants to make, the Trump organization was not Murder, Inc., We never killed anybody. We never went, took a body and buried it in Central Park. That's all bullshit. Some of the other things, yeah, we were very hard when it came to lawsuits, you know, um, not paying, you know, contractors, as I write in my book, Disloyal, on several occasions, some crazy cases. But, you know, why they stay, why they're sticking with him, it's all because they think that there'll be some sort of a benefit whether he'll be able to help them in a reelection or to help them to raise money, or because the people that are their constituents appear to be based upon the numbers, supporters of Trump. So therefore, if I want to keep my job, as they all do, look, Marsh has been there for how many years now? Um, quite a few. The same thing with guys like Lindsey Graham or Mitch McConnell, they're career politicians. And Like, I I also believe federal judges should not be lifetime appointments. I think it's a very, I think it's dangerous um, to the entire system. If you're worried that March is just around the corner and you've barely gotten anything done, take a deep breath. Policy Genius will help you make the most of this short month in minutes. Luckily, Policy Genius can help you check off two big items with ease, compare life insurance rates, and save 50% or more in the process. That means having more cash to do things you actually care about doing. Plus, it's 100% hassle-free. Their licensed experts work for you, not the insurance companies, so they can offer unbiased advice when you need it. Here's how it works. First, head to policygenius.com. In minutes, you can work out how much coverage you need and compare quotes from top insurers to find your best price. Policy Genius will compare policies starting as as little as $1 a day. You might even be eligible to skip the in-person medical exam. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and its red tape. You could save 50% or more by comparing quotes and feel good knowing that your loved ones would be taken care of if anything were to happen. Go to PolicyGenius.com to get started. That's Policy Genius. When it comes to insurance, it's nice to get it right. But then just moving on quickly, because we only have, you know, a little bit left. On February 13th, you tweeted the following in regards to the former president's defense strategy, you know, that his lawyers should have stuck to the basic one. And we talked about this and everything that they talked about was they were all nonsensical claims and so on. Um, Discuss this with me for a second. Like what what was what was going on here?
0: It was just so theatrical and it was bad lawyering. I mean, if you know you actually know the law um well okay let's just let's break the net one by one. um, you had Caster, who was just dull as dirt. I mean, I don't even know what this like the, didn't he like ramble for just two hours about like I don't know his fishing trip or something like that? I mean, it was just like non sequitur opening and I guess I, mean, I don't think we ever saw him again after that um, because he was so bad
1: well I mean all he chose to do was to lie about the basic facts he'd insulted the Senate he made nonsensical claims as you said for over two that was hours
0: Vander that was Vanderveen that was the third guy the personal injury lawyer was um so Castor was the first guy with the dopey suit Vanderveen was the Philly personal injury lawyer and he was just he was nuts um I think He didn't understand the, like, I don't think he understood the gravity of what he was doing. I don't think he understood the body that he was addressing. Um, I remember at one point he told them it was the worst day of his life or something like that. Yes, he
1: did. Um,
0: And he claimed that if there were witnesses, that they were all going to have to come down to Philadelphia to his office to be deposed. Um, He was way out of his league, didn't seem to understand the law, was non-responsive to questions, and basically, like, just had this, like... Every time he was asked a question, like, he, you know, kind of like it's like he needed a cape or something so he could just like, you know, dramatically walk off um, after saying something that was non-responsive.
1: You were dead accurate when you said that they were all playing to a party of one. And that's yeah. why all that he wanted to do was to say things that he interprets or believes that Donald Trump would find flattering or in his case, because I agree with you, I think he's dumb non-offensive to trump and yet they all managed to fail because trump supposedly threw a temper tantrum one of his baby hissy fits right but here's what these three clowns actually knew going into it and this is a great thing if you're a lawyer you're taking on the defense of a case that you know you've already won right
0: just don't screw up that's all you need to do is go in there you could like you know, you could recite a poem if you want, walk off and you're done.
1: I was listening to Kester. I swear on my life. I thought when he opened up or shown as well, when they opened up the book, I thought he was going to read green eggs and ham. I mean, the guy could have <laughs> literally belched the national anthem and won this case because you were not getting 17 Republicans who were courageous enough in order to convict the man, convict the president, the former president. I mean, they just were not so, As a lawyer, how great is it if you can walk in, right? I mean, I would have gotten a suit that fit better with a better look to myself, right? But I would have gone in there and I would have turned around. I would have fucking read off green eggs and ham. I would have started citing Dr. Seuss simply for the theatric of it because that's what Donald Trump would want. Make fun of everybody, all the Democrats. Make fun of them because if you're going to play to a party of one, play it the way that Donald wants you to play it. Right. Turn around and attack, you know, um, Plaskett, turn around and attack Jamie Raskin, turn around and attack Eric Swalwell and, you know, and all of them. Uh, I mean, just that's what Donald wanted. So get up and say whatever you want to. Right. Because, you know, you won the case. And if you're going to play to a party of one, they should have played it much better. But then on February 11th, you retweeted SC Cup, who wrote Trump lost. The presidency, the House, the Senate, and the trust of the American people, as well as the belief in free and fair elections, the credibility of the Republican Party, the admiration of our allies, the fear of our enemies. What exactly then are Republicans defending? Discuss this with me and my listeners.
0: This is my question. I mean, I think Rick Wilson coined, you know, the phrase, everything Trump touches dies. Um there is literally nothing. And I mean, the COVID response is basically encapsulates everything. I mean, you take something where if you had done nothing, like if you literally had taken no action at all and just stayed passive, you'd be in a better position now than what Trump did. So he like actively makes things worse. Um, so, you know, the, the, the thing I don't understand is, why do I mean, Republicans, they could change their tactic and actually bring more people under their tent. Then they don't need a crazy person, you know, and, you know, fringe extremists to be a part of their base. Like, I don't understand why they just don't kind of reframe, like you said, say goodbye to Trump, reframe, bring more people over. I mean, my dad, Michael, he's, you know, an Indian immigrant he came here in 1970. He's been a Republican his whole life because, you know, he, car- he wants lower taxes or whatever. The the Republican Party has succeeded in alienating people like my dad because they've just gone down this road of like bigotry instead of just issues that could potentially bring in, you know, other people that could expand their base. Um, Why they don't do that, I don't know. And it's not sustainable because they can't win elections. They have to keep engaging in anti-democratic tactics like voter suppression if they want to keep. Uh, like basically stay in power with
1: the base that they have or Jeremy or some other republican trick mm-hmm. that they have but asha i found that you wrote about nikki haley's late in the game denouncement of donald trump outstanding <laughs> i really did because you wrote and i'm going to quote please nikki haley is what i call in my taxonomy of complicity an amoeba lacking any real character or convictions of her own she will always choose the path of least resistance. Only interesting takeaway with these folks is you always know which way the wind is blowing. Tell me a little bit about what you meant.
0: Yeah, I mean, amoebas are, you know, I think Marco Rubio, for example, is an amoeba. I mean, they're people who um, really, uh, they, they just have no stance of their own. Like they're not willing to stake their ground on anything. They're, gonna, they're just, you know, reads that go with the wind. I think Nikki thinks that maybe the political winds are blowing in a direction where saying something mildly bad about Trump is going to be good for her own political career. This is about her ambition. It's not actually about principle or any kind of real belief that she has. Um, and I think if, if the situation changes, she'll change her mind. She'll waffle. She's a
1: fraud. Would you think that she's looking at all of the great press that she had received when she was working in the administration and now she doesn't want to lose that because she wants to ride it in 2024?
0: That's exactly right. She's one of the few people who I think escaped the everything Trump touches dies phenomenon. Like she kind of, she's she was very shrewd in being able to somehow keep enough distance. Maybe this was because of her job you Know as ambassador to the United Nations that it wasn't directly tied to everything Trump was doing day to day, um, and then also exit at a very key point. So she largely had her reputation, but you know, and, and I think you're right, she wants to capitalize on that, you know, sense that she's you know hasn't like I don't know, some uh, I, I don't want to say integrity because I don't think she has that, but um political chops. uh, She wants to ride that in 2024 without being tainted by Trump's legacy. I don't know how anyone, and I don't think anyone should be able to escape being tainted by Trump's legacy at any point if they helped in this administration.
1: Right. I can't certainly see her standing up on stage like the way Joe Biden did and said, I was President Barack Obama's vice president. I worked with him on doing X, Y, and Z, right? Whether it was the Affordable Care Act, whether it was prison reform, what, whatever it is that they that they worked on, now whether or not that you liked President Obama's um, you know regulations and all the things that he did, it was for lack of um, words, it was a rather peaceful time in American history. Right, we knew who our allies were, we knew who our adversaries were. The economy was doing well. Yeah, there were things that you didn't like about policies. You know, I always talk about this. Ed Koch had that famous line, if you agree with me 8 out of 12 times, you should vote for me. If you agree with me 12 out of 12 times, you should see a psychiatrist. You're never going to agree with a politician 12 out of 12 times. So maybe there were some of his policies you didn't like. Maybe they were policies that were important to you. So you voted for the next guy. That's the way that the system is supposed to work. It's not supposed to be, hey, I voted for Donald Trump because I like the status quo because I'm white, right? Or, you know, uh, women and men should not make the same amount of money, right? Or, you know, I want to, you know, I want... Donald Trump to be able to stack the Supreme Court and the federal courts with ultra-conservative judges. That's just not really what you're supposed to be looking for, but who am I to tell anybody what to vote for, right? Uh, You do what you want. So, you know, Asha, as we're coming down to the hour, um, just one last question for you. And I want to change gears for a moment on it and talk to you about the Fulton County Georgia prosecutor's office and their probe into president trump and whether or not he obstructed or attempted to obstruct the vote how likely do you see this happening and who else do you believe might get charged as well
0: yeah that's a great question and i think that is going to be maybe where trump may finally you know meet some some consequences Primarily because you have this amazing piece of evidence. You have this recording of the phone call, which, by the way, uh, his lawyers in the impeachment trial have conceded to its authenticity. (laughs) So, you know, that's not in dispute. Um, So that phone call also has really important pieces to it. So, for example, the fact that he had specified the exact number of votes that he needed the Secretary of State to find. I think it was 11,000... 781 votes, which would be one more than the margin by which he lost by, uh, which kind of goes to his intent. Um, you know, I think uh, you know, this could be where he actually faces some charges. And it, it may also depend on what they can get for the people around Trump. Um, You know, their complicity in it, if there's any charges that they can get them on and then leverage that to get additional witness testimony about Trump and what his intentions were leading up to that phone call. Um, Because I think they're going to need more than just the phone call if they want to actually prove something in court. Um, So it'll be about the people around him. And by the way, speaking of Lindsey Graham, I think he might be somebody who's ensnared in this whole thing, because I believe he, too, had prior had previously tried to engage in some kind of sketchy you know, vote request of, of you know, trying to find instances of voter fraud or something. So that's going to be a case to watch.
1: Well, you may remember two years ago when I stood before the House Oversight Committee and I made certain warnings that turned out to be absolutely correct. For example, that there will never be a peaceful transition of power if Donald Trump loses. I'm going to make another prediction to all of those that may end up getting sucked into this vortex, this this garbage dumpster known as Donald Trump and his legal problems. If, in fact, Donald Trump turns around and asks you to join him, that don't worry, we're going to pay for your legal fees. It's a lie. He does not. And you're going to end up in the same situation like me, having to sue Trump and the Trump organization. And in this case, it would probably be his super PAC or the RNC or whoever else is funneling money. He's like a mob boss, right? He's got all of these different areas funneling money for his lifestyle, for his payments and so on. Rest assured that he will throw your ass under the bus like he did mine. He will use you as a scapegoat because Donald Trump, and say it with me, doesn't care about anyone or anything other than himself, right? I keep saying that over and over again. It's almost like Trump's you know, call sign for who's going to build the wall, and everyone would yell Mexico, right? Who does Donald Trump care about? The answer: nobody but himself. So now, when you were talking about consequences, one of the things—wait, can I add
0: one more thing? Of course, you, Michael. Can. Just because I, I want to make sure that people understand with that Georgia case, if he does have one of these pocket pardons hanging out, it's not going to matter because that's a state case, so it's not going to help him there. And also, the the Fulton County DA doesn't i think have the same kind what i was saying before that the department of justice has to weigh all these issues about go, you know prosecuting a former president and everything i don't think state prosecutors have that same concern because they're not under biden's justice department he has no role in them at all so i think they have more independence
1: yep well and and the same holds forth for the district attorney here Cyrus Vance who is pushing forward hopefully he Steps on it a little bit. And the same with the attorney general. Listen, everybody has had plenty of time within which to review all of the documentation, and it's significant. Not only is it significant, it's um uh it's pretty it's pretty devastating for Trump and for his kids and the Trump organization, and even the SDNY. They're sitting on a treasure trove of documents and information, including, my understanding was that they had about a dozen sealed indictments. I mean, what have they done with that? My understanding is that they now have closed out that case. And I think that, and I call for this on every show, and I call for it even on television, when I was just on um, Jonathan Capehart on MSNBC. I truly believe that if they don't indict Trump, that the Attorney General should send somebody down here to investigate what's going on at the SDNY. You know, everybody has to everybody has to become accountable and held responsible mm-hmm. for their own dirty deeds. And that includes Trump. That includes his kids. That includes Alan Weiselberg, It includes Lindsey Graham. It includes everybody. They need to be held responsible. So, Asha, let me thank you for your time, for your insight, for you. once again, your knowledge. Uh, truly appreciate you and your time.
0: Thank you so much, Michael. It was great talking with you.
1: The same. And now for today's mea culpa. One of my greatest regrets in devising Trump's political career was the alliance we formed with the very worst of the far-right media establishment. With Donald Trump, we presented these groups with an empty vessel, more than willing to take on their grievance, anger, and hatreds. They poured themselves and their collective paranoia into Trump and created the patchwork association of extremists, racists, and conspiracists that formed the bedrock of MAGA, Incorporated. Now comes word today that the spiritual and political father of Trumpism, Rush Limbaugh, succumbed to cancer at the age of 70. His work in preaching the gospel of Trumpism and using Trump to bring right-wing media to a new level of influence and power is undeniable. Now, I don't want to kick a dying man, but Rush Limbaugh is undoubtedly responsible for the frightening tribalism of this nation and the radicalization of millions, especially men, into his cult of racism, homophobia, Islamophobia, and political nihilism. His voice was nasty, taunting, and cruel. His words presage Trump's ugliness by decades, but under Trump, he was given the Presidential Medal of Freedom and normalized to a degree in a way that he had never seen. He will undoubtedly be lionized today across Fox News and elsewhere. Right-leaning politicians will be shedding their crocodile tears for his passing. In my view, the world now has one less bigot to tear apart the fabric of our society. So goodbye and good riddance. And thanks for listening. Maya Culper is brought to you by LSJ Media and Audio Up in association with Midas Touch. And it's hosted by me, Michael Cohen, produced by Audio Up by Jimmy Jelnick and executive producer Jared Gustav. And it's edited by Tyler Dawson. Please stay tuned as we focus on the changing political moment and this unprecedented transfer of power. I'll be with you every step of the way mea culpa nothing but the truth this is my support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, and Fire TV and start streaming now. Pluto TV. Drop in, watch free. So, is this the line for Dragon's Maze? This is gonna be awesome. Wow, the line is really long. Mommy, no shade. We'll meet up later. How long will you wait? As long as it takes. So, you guys are only gonna do this one ride all day? It won't be that long, probably. Mom, can you get us food? But wait, are they cutting? Caleb, food is so far away. Should I say something? Daddy, pick me up. Mom! Hey, there's a line here. Daddy, swing That's like 20 oh people. My God. One person holds the line for 20 people? This is bullshit. Don't go there. Go on a real vacation. Go RVing.